0: The blessing of the worship hour certainly is always a magnificent and great thing. And the first day of the week allows us to again come together on this fifth Sunday of the month of January. And we're delighted that we can open our hearts and direct to God the heartfelt praise that we would wish to use in our adoration of Him. It's good that we've each been able to be here today. And those songs that we've just sung have all been encouraging and uplifting and in some ways very challenging to think about the lives that we would live before the eyes of our Heavenly Father. I'm sure you've heard about Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I suspect that that kind of story has often been one that we've reflected upon. Maybe we all remember reading it ourselves and having our parents or grandparents tell it to us or share it with us. Could I ask you to think for a few minutes about the Three Bears of Galatians chapter 6? That chapter sets before us three bears. And we'll spend the next few moments reflecting upon each one of them and using that as a motivation for our life in Christ, ways in which we should, in fact, be serving Him. As we do all of that, this introductory slide merely does some of what I just highlighted by putting before us some introductory thoughts. We live in a world, of course, so often misdirected choosing things that are not of highest priority, and quite frankly, choosing some things that are evil. Galatians 1, verses 4, 5, and 6 reminded us that they of that day also were somewhat troubled by making those kind of poor choices. And yet in Christ, we are admonished to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. One of the things that allows us to rejoice is three bears. Three bears of Galatians chapter 6. So I hope in your Bible you're still open to that particular chapter. Brother John read a moment ago from three of the verses in that chapter that mentioned to us about three bears. Let's close that introductory slide by noting this. These bears that are set before us in that chapter will be bears that identify works in our life. Why don't we then proceed to note this. I suspect that at least a word or two of introduction could be beneficial as we place the matters of this chapter before us in its proper context. The Galatian people were known to be rather fickle. I use that word like this it's not an insult, it's just the facts they would quickly give their attention to some other fanciful teacher who would come their way. For example, Paul or another of the faithful preachers of the Lord would labor in earnest to ground them in the truth. And then just as soon as that preacher would leave and someone else would come in and teach a different doctrine, they would overwhelmingly give attention to it and proceed to follow it. Paul even pointed out they were a bit known for the fickleness of their character. Is it any wonder in the Galatian letter we find in those six chapters several things encouraging them to be more grounded than that, to not be so quick to give up attention to the truth. Do you remember in the opening chapter, in Galatians 1, verse number 6, Paul said, That gospel that I delivered to you, you have begun to give attention to something else which is not another. And he quickly pointed out in verses 8 and 9, Though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach any other gospel unto you than the one you've received, let him be accursed. There is no other. There is but one gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder then when you arrive at Galatians 3, verse number 1, we find that Paul had again proceeded elsewhere to labor in the cause of the kingdom and that false teachers had come and the people were being mispersuaded; They were being taken aside from the truth. May I suggest to you in that light, Paul would later say in Galatians 5 verse 7, You did run well. Note the past tense. At that time, they were not running nearly as well as they once had because they'd begun to give attention to what wasn't true. They had begun to give attention to what fact was not consistent with the word of the Lord. I would close that slide then very briefly by saying, a principal matter that had been one challenging them in light of these false matters and false doctrines was this. They had begun, you see, to move aside to the old law of Moses. That is to say, to again turn their attention to keeping some matter of it, be it circumcision, be it connection to the various sacrifices that were required, And Paul had to again insist that they understand that that law was no longer the one by which one would serve the Lord. But the current law, the law of Christ, Note Galatians 6 verse 2, is the law that they needed to not only understand, but to be faithful to. And there were going to be three bearers that would help them in their message of faithfulness, their message of consistency, their message of given dedication to the things of God. As I transition to the next slide, why don't we look then at the first bear? Now, one of the things that you may well immediately observe is that in that story of Goldilocks and three bears, it was literally a creature we'd call a bear. In Galatians 6, it's not the creature we'd call a bear, but rather it's the verb form. Note with me, verse number 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now the word bear there is a verb, it's not a noun. It is a description of some activity. It's a description of something that's to be accomplished or done. It's not a creature walking on four legs out in the woods. Paul wrote to those brethren there in Galatia, bear one another's burdens. Now by inspiration, as Paul would pin those words to them, it's a reminder, of course, by inspiration of what proceeds to you and to me as well. At the top of that slide, I've invited you to note that that word bear, that verb that occurs, it literally means to pick up, to carry, to lift up, and we find a host of usages of that verb in the context of the New Testament. In John 10, 31, Mark 14, 13, for example, and could I point out that though you and I aren't those that speak Greek, at least in that regard, could I point out that the Greek language... Is such that there were various attributes of its verbs, and sometimes those can be very helpful as we properly appreciate the teachings and the wording of the New Testament. That word bear, as you can see on the slide, is a second person word. It's active in its thrust, and it's imperative in its voice. Now, when you think about the word imperative, that means this was a necessary thing. In other words, this was not optional for the Galatian brethren. You need to, you must bear one another's burdens. No wonder in that light, we should quickly ask about the word burden. What was it that Paul was setting before them? The word burden, again, from the same Greek text, it means hardship or difficulty or that which relates to suffering. May I point out that it's plural, just as the English would suggest. And not only that, It's accusative in its character for that noun. I say all that to say I don't believe there's anything surprising there. So brethren, as you bear one another's burdens, you pick up one another's challenges, you help one another to bear the things that they're facing. That's the commandment that Paul gave to those Galatian people. As you close that slide with me, you'll notice this was to take place beneath the banner of the law of Christ. He said, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That word fulfill literally means to fill up, take it to its brim. You notice then that these words of inspiration are those which also rest before us. The Holy Spirit commanded then and He commands now that we as a family... We, as those of this particular congregation here, we should seek and actively to do so as we bear one another's burdens. Picking up the challenges and aiding one another over the difficulties and the oppressions and hardships that we face. That really is a special thing about the family of God, isn't it? We care about one another. We are concerned about one another's plights and one another's difficulties and one another's hardships and the particular difficulties that one another faces. You see, the brethren in Galatia knew that too. Paul doesn't say exactly what those hardships were, though later in the chapter it looks like we can guess some of them. But whatever they were, they were admonished. You as Christian brethren, you help one another over these valleys in life. Aren't you thankful to have a Christian family like that? Someone who's concerned about you? someone who cares for you, someone who's there to share in times of need and in times of encouragement. One of the beautiful things about the church is identically that, isn't it? This next slide, in fact, will even take that concept and ask us to make some particular applications using other matters. And that slide proceeds like this. I've just pointed out the great blessing that is the church of our Lord. When our Savior, of course, purchased the church, Acts 20, verse 28, and of course when He ascended back to the Father, He left behind a group of people of whom Jesus could say this, By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. John 13, verses 34 and 35. We are taught in Romans 12, verse number 5, that as we serve the Lord with dedication and completeness, we are able to appreciate the need to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. The Christian family is a remarkable group of people. That love exhibited one for another, manifested in the concern that we have. Isn't it a delightful comfort when you and I know that our fellow brothers and sisters are praying for us? And sometimes it's not just about our sicknesses. We're thankful for prayer certainly then, but sometimes it has to do with the particular challenges that we're facing, the issues that come before us. Sometimes those problems as we share them with our brothers and sisters in Christ, they are so quick to lend their appreciation in prayer on our behalf. But it's not only that. There are times that when... Efforts come our way in such a way that we are in need. Our brothers and sisters in Christ can be there to lend an actual hand of help, perhaps a good back, perhaps other things needed to assist in carrying out these issues connected to bearing one another's burdens. Life does bring its burdens on occasion, doesn't it? Challenges that involve physical matters, sometimes matters of relationships, And yet, we have a family to whom we can turn. A family that's there to offer words of consolation, words of encouragement, words of issue connected to maybe good elements of wisdom. You may notice about the middle of that slide. May I also point out that one earlier point in this chapter is this one. Would you note with me the opening verse of Galatians 6? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. One of the other issues that is such a dramatic truth has to do with we as a family love one another enough to try to correct one another when error is evident. How loving is it if someone's walking off toward hell and we do nothing about it? We don't offer words of correction, words of challenge, words of insistence that this person understand the mistakes that are being made and the sins that are being committed. You and I love one another more than that. We will kindly, perhaps with a tear streaming down our face, try to help one see the road you're traveling in life is not pleasing to God. And it's going to lead you to eternal doom if you continue this way. That's the kind of love that you and I as the Lord's family would have at this place. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The first bear that we've seen then so far has been connected to the wording of verse number two. And it has to do with the bearing of one another's burdens. What about the second bear? The second bear comes to us in the fifth verse of this chapter. May I again read that one just as Brother John read it earlier. For every man shall bear his own burden. That certainly sounds intriguing, doesn't it? We have just read about bearing one another's burdens in verse 2, and now the insistence is put before us that everyone is to bear his own burden. Let's develop that thought under the banner of verse 5 and also under the banner of associated passages that, in fact, relate so easily to it. The word burden means load. It has to do with what's connected to practical discipleship. That is to say, that which is involved in the faithful service of our responsibilities to the God of heaven. Is it any wonder, as you'll notice in the statements following? This does not contradict verse 2. That verse had pointed out there are issues connected to service to the Lord which would involve our aiding another in the bearing of his or her burdens. But make no mistake about it. Each of us have our own burdens and there are elements and issues that nobody can do for me in the same way that I cannot do for you. I have a responsibility and so too do you. The God of heaven has obligations for me. And they're not the same in some instances as for you, but we each have our own. And it is required by God that we be stewards of those things and be diligent with respect to them as well. Could we at least talk about briefly one of them? Personal growth in faith. You can do all the encouragement that this world might have to offer relative to the Word of God, but yet nobody can help me grow my faith but me at the most basic level. You see, isn't it true that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God? You can't study the Bible for me, and I can't do it for you. I can't pray for you, neither can you pray for me in terms of what would God expect me to do in prayer. There are other things you and I can see along that same line, isn't it? Isn't it true, then, that just as surely as we can assist others and encourage them... May we never neglect our own faith. May we never run roughshod over the obligations that God would expect of me and of you individually. And so how is your faith and how is mine? Are you and I investing in those matters, verse 5 would indicate, bear you your own burden. Are you and I doing that well? I've invited you to consider this at the bottom of that slide. Isn't it true that in the final analysis, obedience to the Lord is a personal matter? There isn't a single thing that I can do to take your place in obedience to God, and there isn't a single thing you can do to take my place. You can think about the elements of worship. I can't sing for you, neither can you for me. I can't partake of the Lord's Supper for you, and neither can you for me. I can't pray for you in taking your place to offer prayers to God. Neither can you for me. None of us can give for each other in terms of money. None of us can serve as a proper example tomorrow. I can't speak the words that you would say in the circumstances of your life, nor can you speak the words I need to say. Bear one another's burdens, true. But verse 5 adds to that, every man needs to bear his own burden. Are there obligations then of service to the Lord indicated and connected individualistically to each of us? Absolutely. And so there's no contradiction between these verses to be sure. Would you note with me some of those verses I invited you to consider? Jude verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's an individual matter. I can't keep you in the love of God, neither can you keep me there. I have to want to be there, and so too do you. And by our own personal choices and our personal faithfulness and obedience, we shall stay there. What about that text in Romans 14, 12? So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. On the day of judgment, I won't answer for you. And you won't answer for me. We each will be judged individually. And Revelation 22.12 highlights that individual character when it says that we will be judged according to His works, each one of us. In many ways, I know we're thankful that that's the way the judgment should be. Wouldn't it be awful to have to give account for the poor choices someone else made, the poor decisions someone else made? And yet, as we bear each of us his own burden... That's just a part of the development connected to this idea. As you close that slide with me, I did invite you to notice 2 Corinthians 5.21. Isn't it there pointed out to us that as we serve the Lord, that we are thankful to be able to do so, recognizing that Jesus, you see, paid the price for each of our sins individually. On this next slide, you may then make this observation about this second bear is a fascinating thing to notice? The church as a collective body can do all that it can and should do. But the fact comes, sometimes you and I individually then might fail. For example, as a collective body, a church can so encourage and quite frankly offer times of edification. But I might not be edified because... I simply choose not to, or I choose, you see, not to be involved. One of the grandest appreciations about all of that then is to recognize that God wishes each of us individually to be mindful of not only the nature of the Christ, but what He, in His kingdom, would wish for you and I to accomplish within it. What great lessons are to be noted. So much so that in Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's an individual matter. You and I need to work out our own salvation. You see, there's an individual obligation and a responsibility which each of us can joyously carry out in reference to the nature of serving the God of heaven. That last verse of Romans 4.3, What saith the Scripture? What does the Bible then say about the individual obligation that we enjoy? Aren't you thankful indeed for that attribute? The Christian armor is a passage that I invited you to consider with me. As we give thought to this, each should bear his own burden. Did you notice with me? As that's described in Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18, there are many elements of which we can so quickly recall the helmet of salvation, various other things like the shield of faith. But what's the point? Each person, the text says, is to put that on. I can't put it on for you, and you can't put it on for me. I can't wield the shield of faith for you. I can't wear the helmet of salvation for you, but you can't put on the belt of righteousness for me. Aren't you thankful then that each of us are ordered to put it on individually? Now, that reminds us a little bit about this bearing each of us our own burden. You have a set of talents that God has given you, and I have a set as well. And God expects each of us to employ these under the banner, you see, of what was taught in Matthew 25. That one talent man had something he could have done, but he chose not to do it. He chose to hide it. And you see that God condemned him for that. He didn't use that individual ability and the capability connected to the idea that was at least under discussion. The first bear, bear one another's burdens. The second bear, each man should bear his own burden. What about the third bear? That came in verse 17. As I transition to the third bear, let's read verse 17 and see what that bear is all about. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. As the Apostle Paul drew near the close of this letter, that verse that we just noted, verse 17, makes a rather dramatic statement, doesn't it? Let no man trouble me. And then he made this definitive statement. For I bear in my body, The marks of the Lord Jesus. The opening statement of the verse, you see, was explained. Notice the word for. We have encountered then this word providing us with an explanation or at least ideas of helpfulness. I bear in my body. The literal Greek word there is branded. Paul says, I have branded on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. It would appear that Paul makes a rather personal reference to not only his circumstances, but to issues that he had now not only faced, but suffered because of his loyalty, because of his conviction, because of his commitment to the Lord. I bear in my body, I suspect that there's a reference here to 2 Corinthians 11. I'm sure you remember it with me in verses 23, 24, and 25 that Paul made a listing of a number of the things which he himself had suffered and endured. You may remember he said, I've been beaten with rods. Don't you suppose that being beaten with a rod would leave scars that would never fully heal? You'd always at least see the imprints of them. Could it be here Paul at least makes an observation of what had happened being beaten with rods, and he even says he was beaten on other occasions, did those leave lashes in his skin? Did they leave imprints that were always visible? Probably, you have circumstances like I have, where things have happened and there are still imprints on your skin at places, reminding you maybe of what had happened decades ago at this point. Perhaps a burn maybe a particular injury that so marred the skin that it left that kind of, 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 of a mark. At the very least, it would seem that Paul at this point was making the point to the Galatians that he was bearing by way of brand, by way of appearance on his skin, various elements reminding of his conviction and of his dedication to the things of service to God. Paul's point, as you can see at the bottom of that slide, then would appear to be this. I have been faithful under duress. You can be faithful as well. Isn't that a motivating statement? If Paul could endure these things, and ultimately he could leave this life assured of a crown of life in heaven, can't you and I be faithful? Can't you and I then, in the appreciation of, at least in some principled way, exhibit the marks of the Lord Jesus in your life and mine. It's probably true. You and I may never be beaten in a public forum the way he was. We may never endure what he did in Acts 16, where at midnight, you may recall, after being beaten, he was singing praises in the jailhouse. You and I may never face that identically. But it does at least beg the question that's on the next slide. What about this third bear seen this way? Do others remember the point Paul was making? The point that he was asserting is that faithfulness in his life is something he was encouraging in the life, you see, of those Galatians. What about you and me today? Do others see faithfulness to the Lord in the way that you and I live? the kind of words we choose to use, the kind of actions that we present before the witness of others, the kind of things that they see in us? That's a good question, isn't it? The only Bible some people will ever truly in care see is the life they see lived by you and me. The words we carefully choose to use before them, the kind of direction that we insist upon in life. Paul could say, I buried my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, time and again, is said to be the one who lives in us. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. Again, speaking about how that the Lord... Is the one who directs the choices and the particular life that you and I live. As you close that slide with me, didn't Jesus say much about discipleship in Luke 9:23? When he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Three bears bear one another's burdens, each to bear his own burden. And we bear in our marks the body, or rather, the character of the Lord Jesus. Let's close this slide then in that way you can now see before you. We've looked at a story that is far more notable than Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Now, that children's record is certainly one that has etched in the minds of many and no doubt has been an interesting prompting to certain kinds of good behavior. But it doesn't compare with Galatians chapter 6 and the three bears we've encountered today. Service to God involves bearing one another's burdens. May we have an interest in in easing the concerns and cares of others when we're able to do it. May we never lose sight of the fact that we each must bear his own burden under the banner of the Bible's teaching of individual response to God. And may we also recognize that just as Paul Branded or bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus, we should be a constant living example of fidelity and faithfulness and obedience to God. As we offer the invitation of the Lord at this time, we certainly simply do so like this These three bears are a reminder of obligations consistent with our service in the church of our Lord. Are you a faithful member of the Lord's body? If you're not, it could well be you've never become a Christian. You, to this point in life, maybe have known somewhat of what the Lord did for you, but you've never responded to it personally by obeying what the Lord demanded. It is the case that we would certainly issue that statement in love. The Lord wants you to be saved, 1 Timothy 2 4, and so much so that He died for you. Don't you want to live for Him? That plan of salvation involves your belief in Him as a Son of God, your repentance of sins, any and all of them, confession confession of His name as a Son of God, and baptism in water for the remission of sins. It could also be that though at one time you knew that kind of life, but you have strayed from it. You have come to live in a way that's not consistent with the Word of God. To live in a way that's not only harmful to you and your soul, but is such a poor influence to so many others. Jesus begs you, pleads with you to come back. He hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on yourself. Repent of any and all of those sins, whatever they are. And with a heart filled with sorrow, come and strive to make it right as you allow the Lord to wash those sins away with His blood. You need to confess them, repent of them. If you do that, He'll forgive them. and You can again walk that sweet roadway to eternal life. Today, if we could help in either of these ways, we'd love to do it. Brother Larry has chosen a song of invitation. We'll use that as an opportune time and plead with you just as the Lord does to come while together we stand and while we sing.